He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, peace, peace. This is Atan Thomas, and welcome to The Rematch. I think the league has a long way to go. Um, They're making improvements, but they have a long way to go to really embrace the fact that they are going to have players that have mental health um, challenges. According to statistics, there's like 43 million adults under the age of 18 in the United States that are suffering from some form of mental illness. That's like 4.2% of all U.S. adults. But the problem is there's a stigma behind it. And so even in regular everyday life, people are forced to keep quiet about it as far as they don't want to be shamed or ridiculed. But in athletics, it's even more so because you're supposed to be mentally tough. That's like a given. That's like the biggest criticism that you can give of a player is that they're not mentally tough. But then to say somebody has mental health challenges, you become like a leper. Like they don't even want to touch you. I haven't had teammates that have had mental health issues, but I've had former colleagues. So I remember Keon Dooling, who was on the executive board of the Players Association with me. And I remember when he had his issues. And I just remember the way that the the teams and the rumors kind of went all over the place, even with Meta World Peace. I mean, it's like the ridicule is one thing from the media, and you kind of expect that to happen. But this doesn't seem like the teams were really doing all they can. I mean, Delonte West, I mean, he's right here in, in PG County. And everybody's reading the stories of them, you know, breaking down and having these mental breakdowns and things of that nature. And it's like the NBA just doesn't want to deal with it. At least that's how it looks like to me. You know, reading about Royce White, and he's probably the most recent case. I mean, he was like the number 16 pick, and he never played for Houston just because they couldn't agree on the best way to really handle his mental health issues. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate. First of all, you know, he's a great player. But the fact that just they didn't care about him enough as a person. And I think there are improvements that are being done right now in the NBA, but they have a long way to go. I mean, you have now where they're starting to assign team psychologists to different teams. I just saw the team psychologist in Oklahoma City when I was interviewing Russell Westbrook. And, you know, she was telling me and I was asking, I was like, oh, is this a relatively new position? Because this wasn't here a few years ago. And she said, no, this is relatively new since players like Metal World Peace have come forward about their mental health issues. Certain teams have started to institute certain programs in order to be able to try to do something to help that. And that all started with Shamiqua. So when I first met Shamiqua, she was already bigger than life. I rehabbed in uh, D.C. and I was working out in the summertime and that's when the WNBA played. So I would either start my workout after they practiced or before their practice. I wasn't the superstar like she was. I was kind of just waiting for uh, Coach Doug Collins to get fired so, you know, I could have an opportunity to play. Then I remember hearing about her mental health issues. 
You know, I mean, and I remember when I was in D.C. hearing all the rumors and people were saying all kind of things. And, you know, I had grown a friendship with her, so I would get offended. You know what I mean? I was like, you're talking about a friend in the media. The media was the worst. Everything from Lou Gehrig's disease to um, pregnancy um, to I had an alcohol addiction. It was just some crazy stuff. <laughs> None of them were true. And, you know, well, fast forward even more. You know, she's doing well currently and she's touring the country and telling her story and she's become this big advocate for mental health and wellness. And really just having her here on the rematch to really further tell her story. You know, I'm, I really hope that everybody enjoys the stories and inspired by the story as much as I was. But I knew if I didn't get help at this time. It was not about anybody else. Like, I was not going to be here on this earth. You know, I know what I live with. A lot of people just don't. Um, necessarily understand. It's almost like an invisible disease unless you have, like, actions that people can see, you know. Shamiqua Holsclaw is basketball royalty. From the streets of New York to the hills of Tennessee, there has been one constant in Shamiqua Holsclaw's life, championships. She was known as the female Michael Jordan. She won three championships in a row at the University of Tennessee. She became the school's all-time leading scorer and rebounder, male or female. Shamiqua Holsclaw has 12 in six minutes and 45 seconds. In 99, Hostclaw was selected first in the WNBA draft by the Washington Mystics and tasked with not only saving the franchise, but the entire WNBA. Basketball always came easy to her, but the lessons she learned in life is what makes her story so special. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Shamiqua Hostclaw. How are you doing, me? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on the show. Now, dating back to high school, when you were roughing up Meta World Peace and Lamar Odom, you know, <laughs> basketball, it, it always came easy to you, right? Yeah, it did. It really came easy. Um, I just think uh, I grew faster than everyone else. <laughs> and um, I was the girl out there. And at first, guys didn't know how to approach it because they was like, okay, we don't want to be physical. Then they were physical. And then I was just flat out better at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember from the documentary, you know, Meta World Peace said that he just really couldn't do anything with you. I mean, you, you putting, you're not putting enough on it, but Meta World Peace said like he was kind of scared of you. You know, um, I moved from like the middle... Uh, middle class area to the inner city so I was searching for serious street credit so I had to do what I had to do and and yes uh, I did I, I, I'm kind of humble about it but I, I did give them the business back then. <laughs> you know you went through college winning everything and was tasked to save the WNBA as a whole right the endorsements, the magazines. I mean, you were on the cover of Slam Magazine in a Knicks jersey, which honestly has to be one of the coldest magazine covers ever, to be honest with you. But, you know, that had to be a lot of pressure to be put on someone's shoulders, right? You know, honestly, I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, I was just kind of like just living in the moment. Coming from New York City is such a basketball mecca. And when you're good at it, you know, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to win. I'm going to go on to college for free. Um, if I'm really, really good, I can go play professional. So I was just kind of just flowing with it. Um, I really did not feel any pressure. People always want to say, oh, you must have felt. I didn't. I was just out there just doing what I knew I could do, and that was um, compete. Right. Now, in your documentary, Mind Game, which is a fantastic documentary, by the way, I was able to see a viewing of it in D.C., and you said, and I quote, um, there was always something bothering me. 
when I was a kid and having early bouts of depression. Mm-hmm. Take us back to young Shamiqua Hosklaw, the one that, you know, people who haven't seen your documentary mm-hmm. or read your autobiography, which is also a very good read, uh, may not be familiar with. But take us to that young Shamiqua Hosklaw. Um, young Shamiqua was an introvert. Um, Really grew up in a protective household. Um, my mom and dad, they were great. They supported, was very supportive of me, very loving. Um, but they had addiction issues. So it was always like, hey, you're hanging with your parents one day. Next time they're fighting. Um, next time they're drunk. Um, I had to take on a lot of responsibility. I had a younger brother. I have a younger brother who was three years younger than me. So it was times where I had to like go in my mom's purse and get money um, to go to the store to buy us something to eat. It was times my mom didn't come home and you're wondering what's next. So I was kind of like fragile, I would say. You know, people would tease me, hey, you know, your mom, man, I saw your mom. She was passed out on a corner and I was embarrassed. So I kind of just pretty much stuck to myself. Wow. So, you know, did you form like a a, a crew of friends that you kind of, you know, was able to bounce those kind of feelings off? Or how did you deal with everything? Um, I think just, you know, hanging with my friends, um, just trying to release, you know, <laughs> going, we would go like, it, it's, it's kind of funny, but everybody knows about this in the inner city. You know, you're going, jumping on the pissy mattresses, <laughs> like, you know, just getting into stuff. I mean, at eight years old, honestly, and people, when I tell them this, they just don't believe it. Eight years old, I probably knew New York City transit system better than most adults. Like, we mm. were just on the train, hopping it. Um, we used to have the things with the safety pins when you put it in the, on the phones and you can make free calls. Like, we knew all the hustles. And I was just one of those kids that was just kind of like running around. You know, my, my parents, even though they loved us, when they got drunk, it was like, hey, do what you want to do. Wow. And um, that's why it was really great. Um, it was a blessing in disguise when we were kind of taken away from them. Because one night, my mom didn't come home and my dad had to go to work, so we went to a neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. Later on, my dad came back. He was like, he was going to cook for us. So we went back to play, and he's cooking. I remember pepper steak and collard greens. Well, we come back, and we're banging on the door. We can't get in. I hear the music playing. Um, Finally, I hear, like, these steps coming around the corner. It was the cops. And so the cops, you know, they opened up the door, and next thing I know, we're in the police station. I remember when they opened it up, my dad was, like, passed out, drunk. The food was, like, burning. And they just told us this house was, like, unfit. Like, we couldn't go back to live with our parents. And I'm just appreciative and, and lucky I had a grandmother who, like, stepped up and, and, and took us in. Wow, wow. So let's, let's fast forward to 2004. You're playing in the nation's capital, uh, playing with the Mystics, and you had the courage to announce to the world that you were dealing with depression. Um, I remember sending you a text. I was playing with the Wizards at the time, just letting you know that I was keeping you in my mm-hmm. prayers. But I remember getting upset hearing like the rumors and reading articles and, you know, hearing the gossip. Did you hear those rumors? And if you did, how did they make you feel? Um, it, it, it really hurt me. Um, it made me want to keep what I was dealing with even more of a secret mm. because I was, again, you know, when you're struggling with something that just kind of like hits you like that and knocks you out, um, you're trying to grasp like who you are and one thing I knew I was was a, was a basketball player. I'd given so much to that team, so much to the organization, and just fans in general. So for people to just start making up rumors about me and start to attack my character, um, it, it was something tough um, psychologically to, to get over. 
Right, right. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I remember from your documentary is um, after you was rushed to the hospital in 2006 Mm -hmm. uh, for a suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. You were with the L.A. Sparks at this point, and you kept this all from your teammates. You really went back to that uh, little girl, Shamika, who you talked about before, who was Mm -hmm. really an introvert. And you came back and started hooping like nothing happened, and you just kind of all tucked it away. It was just thrown back onto the court. And I remember watching the documentary and thinking, you know, what kind of negligence from the organization is this? I mean, did did they try to actually help you or are they just more concerned with just getting you back on the court and trying to win games? Um, well, when I first got to L.A., um, I, a lot of people don't know this, but I got there. I asked for the trade. D.C. traded me. I get to L.A. Um, and again, I'm a people pleaser. So I'm like, this team traded for me. I don't want to disappoint them, but I really didn't want to play. So I get to L.A. and um, Johnny Buss is awesome. Dr. Buss's son, um, rest in peace. He was heading up our team and he was like, whatever you need, like we're going to support you. So mm-hmm. they got me a great psychologist and I walked in there like the second day. I was like, I don't want to play basketball anymore. I don't I don't want to do this. Like I'm way more important. But he's just like, come on, we, we're here for you. So. You know, everything worked out. Uh, you know, you think the grass is going to be green. I'm playing with Lisa Leslie. Right. I live a couple blocks for, from the beach. But ultimately, things started crashing down again because I didn't deal really with my emotional issues the way that I should have. And that's really being my own person. When I said I didn't want to play, I really should have stuck with that. Mm. So when I, here I am, you know, in Sinanella Hospital after this um, suicide attempt and I just remember opening my eyes, honestly. I'm on like this gurney and I see the GM of my team. And I was just so out of it. I was just like, wow. And I remember falling back to sleep and I woke up and I was under like suicide watch. And like, it's like all white rooms. The doctor comes in and he's like, I don't know much about basketball, but I know who you are. And you can't allow things to get this bad. Like, you overdosing on brain medication. You're walking away. Like, you you have all feelings and hands. You're healthy. And it could have been totally opposite. So, you know, you should just really think about things and get the help that you need, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, the season was going on. Um, and a teammate that I was really close with, uh, Muriel Page, who played with me most of the time in, in D.C., mm-hmm. she actually came to visit me while I was in the hospital. And I just told her, like, I was like, it was after, you know, I was off the watch. And I was just like, I just wasn't feeling well. Like, I was dehydrated. And she really believed it. Like, she was sat in the room with me and <laughs> talked to me and was like, okay, you know, take care of yourself and left. It wasn't until years later, which I told her, she was like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. And I'm like... It's, it's real. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you first told the mystics, when you first came out about your depression, what was their reaction? How did they try to help you or did they just, you, um, know? you know? at that t- time, here I am um, in the most uh, powerful place in America, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was my, I didn't take responsibility for what I was dealing with at that time. I didn't think they was there. They loved me. But I was scared. I didn't know what, like, mental health issues were. Right. Um, I just wanted to run, you know. I was just like, hey, you know, I didn't know how to deal with things and understand this is something that occurs in life. So I just sort of just, like, hid, basically. They would call me. Everybody's trying to, to reach out to me. But I put up that um, put up that wall. Right. Now, I remember watching TV. You know, I was on, a, on my way to an event. And um, I was about to turn the TV off and go. Mm-hmm. And I had my dress clothes on and everything. I was like, you know, running late to get to my event. And the news flash came across the screen. 
And it says Shamiko Holsklaw, you know, had just gone into a rage and smashed someone's windows mm-hmm. and, you know, a baseball bat and, a, mm-hmm. you know, a gun and shot at a car and all this. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, they got to be talking about a different Shamiqua because Shamiqua, <laughs> I know, you know, I can't even really yeah. picture her raising her voice mm-hmm. at somebody. And I think I, you know, sent you a little text then, which didn't, it didn't say much, just, you know, Mika, I'm keeping you in my prayers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, many people would say that that was like, you know, rock bottom, but in some ways, that event turned out to be like a blessing in disguise for you because it kind of put you on another path. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that incident made you stop everything and take care of Meek. And, mm-hmm. you know, it changed the whole course of your life. So how did you have the courage to, after you came out of that event, mm-hmm. open up about it? And you, you, you talked about it in the autobiography. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, I learned so much reading your autobiography that I didn't know. Right. And then you, you you did a documentary about Mind Game. And then you discussed about being um, diagnosed with pi- um, bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You travel the country speaking about mental health. Yeah. And you're kind of like the mental health spokesperson at this moment. You know, how did you have the courage to take on all of that and to open yourself yeah. up that way right. after going through what you went through? Well, I mean, coming from where I've come from when you like overcome and then you find a little bit of uh, peace in your life. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it was like I was at Tennessee, it was peace, you know, I had great support in like Coach Summit. And I just think ultimately I just realized like why I was doing things. Um, at times it was for other people wanting to please them. And I really looked myself in the mirror and you hear all the things like you said, people say about you and, and attack your character. But I knew if I didn't get help at this time, it was not about anybody else. Like, I was not going to be here on this earth, you know. I know what I live with. A lot of people just don't um, necessarily understand. It's almost like an invisible disease unless you have, like, actions that people can see, you know. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like not being able. Everybody sees you great. You're social. I'm here with you right now. But I don't know how it's going to be tomorrow morning. Like, am I going to be able to get up out of bed? It's a constant struggle. And I knew I had to just... The same approach that I took to athletics, you know, preparation, um, wanting to be the best is what I had to do for my for my mental health and mental well-being. So I was blessed to have the resources. You know, I want to I want to find out more about this, like what's going on with me. So I think the key for me was when this incident happened, getting a forensic psychiatrist and it's a person um, that goes and they got all my records mm-hmm. of every doctor I've seen, every medication since pretty much since I was young. Like they were able to like trace stuff. And he's like, they've been misdiagnosing you. And a lot of times that happens. So here I am. People were telling me I was clinical, going through clinical depression, anxiety and stuff. And the medication that they were giving me, in a sense, were actually like triggering different responses within my system. So mm. um when people say that they struggle with mental health and still they're having all these different um, imbalances, it's a lot of time um, they're on medications that can cause um, adverse effects. Right. Um, and for me, it was just being bipolar, you're like chasing this high. I want to be, uh, what's, what's the word? Um, it's like this level of elation, you mm-hmm. know? And so if they're giving me medication, if I tell them, oh, it's just like I have no energy and I can't get out of bed and they're giving me stuff to like pick up my mood, well, that's getting me here, you right, know? Right. And a lot of times you go to a psychiatrist. I played on teams where I met a person one time 
And I sat there, I said, so you met me one time and you just giving me this medicine? Right. Like, you don't know my history. You, right. you really didn't ask any questions. We talked for an hour and you're like, here, this will help you feel better. Right, right. So I just think that um, as far as that, you know, giving medication and things like that, they really need to, like, study people's histories and, and talk more, just uh, not over-prescribing um, drugs. Do you, do you understand that? And I don't know, you know, you, you're, you're doing so many great things and sometimes when you're in your purpose, you're just doing it. You're not mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. how many people you're affecting. But do you understand that, you know, there are numerous players that have cited you as their inspiration of why they've had the courage to be able to come forward about their mental health challenges? And I've I've heard it come out of their mouth, oh, like cool. Michael Sweetney, <laughs> mm-hmm. Royce White, mm-hmm. Delonte West, who I just spoke to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've reconnected with your childhood friend, Meta World Peace. But mm-hmm. do you know how many people you're really affecting by having the courage to be able to speak about mental health issues? Um, I guess, you know, sometimes when you're in it, you're in it. But I was telling... Um, the first lady of uh, our city, New York City, yesterday, I'm like, the thing that impacts me are these uh, young kids, you know, the courage they have to stand amongst their peers. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in an auditorium, you might have 300, 400 kids or college students, and for them to grab that microphone and say, hey, you know, I struggle with multiple personalities or bipolar, like just saying it in front of everybody, they have so much courage. I, right. I wish that, I, I said that wasn't me. You know, right. I was a person head down, like, I don't want anyone to find out right. what's going on with me. So, um, that I think that right there just like keeps me going because I see the change that it's really making. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I we were at a panel just a little while ago in Harlem, mm-hmm. and I actually saw firsthand little middle school girls and high school girls identify with you in a way that they didn't identify with anybody else on the panel. You know what I mean? They felt comfortable uh, sharing intimate, personal, like horrific things that they were going through mm-hmm. to the entire panel because of the open book that you were. You know what I mean? And, you know, talking to them afterwards, that's what they said and they connected with you. Does getting responses like that really help you know that you're really walking in your purpose? Oh, 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 definitely. I mean, I I wake up sometimes and, you know, whatever you do in life, sometimes things get overwhelmed. You get overwhelmed with things. And I'm like, is is this supposed to be what I'm doing? You know, people call me, do you want to coach? Do you want to do this? And I'm like, oh, my God, am I supposed to really be doing this? And this is like God would just pop up with something else. You know, someone else asked me to come speak and the audience, you know, you, you can know that you touched them in a different way. And I, I, I just, I just know it because every time I doubt it, I get a sign from God. It's like, right. it's serious. Like the other day I was like, man, you know, I'm really thinking about maybe transitioning to, to something else. Cause I've something, other interests, you know, I, I'm like not the mental health right. guru, you right. know, but you know, my grandma used to just tell me, it's just like, you Basketball is just like a tool, you right. know. And I didn't get it back then. Right. I'm like, man, I'm, I want to be the best. But she's like, it's just a tool. And I realized this is the work that I'm um, supposed to be supposed to be doing, um, uplifting um, people. Right. And one of the mm. things you talked about in the question and answer session after your after your uh, documentary is you talked about how you want to change the negative stigmatism of mental health issues, especially mm-hmm. in athletics. Because mm-hmm. usually when people say something that they're dealing with mental health issues, that's like. The big red flag, especially, you know, for male athletes. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what what is it that how can we bring about that change where more people right. can feel comfortable with dealing with their mental health issues, mm-hmm. getting help and then being able to continue doing whatever they're want, they're they're trying to do? It's it's like what we're doing now is just talking about it. It can't be something that, you know, people kinda like this is, don't want to bring up. You know, it's awesome now. 
um, young ladies from even from WNBA reach out to me and they're like, yo, like my teammate told me secretly, like she's struggling with this. And, you know, just listening, learning to listen to people. Sometimes you don't need to even say anything because right. you can see the signs, you know, we're go- dealing with today um, in society. You know, people have hard times with their families, you know, the stuff on the news. And mm-hmm. so um, when we start to feel like dehumanized, you know, it really starts to uh, affect our mental health and just being in support of each other, you know. That's why I'm a hugger, you know. Right. It's like, you know, some this guy told me today when I was talking to him, he's like, you're the first person that I've come into work and they've asked me, like, how am I doing? Right. And I'm like, you know, just got to show each other more love, man. That's great. That's, That's great. Well, I have yeah. the utmost respect for you, Shamiqua. Thank you. As you know. Um, you know, we've done panel discussions together and I, you know, enjoyed watching the crowd reaction when I was looking at the screening of your documentary and, mm-hmm. and hearing mm-hmm. and seeing how they connected with you in, in the, the, the question and answers session. Oh. Was, was, it was great. No, it was really deep because you're inspiring everybody and inspiring people who didn't know anything about mental health issues. Because usually right. it's kind of like one of those taboo subjects. Yeah. You don't really speak about it, especially yeah. in the black community, yeah. you know. So much respect to you. Keep mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. And, you know, I'm going to keep supporting everything that you're doing. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. It's just like anything. The message is you always have to just be your author authentic self, you know, right. and, and, and be tr- living your truth. And people respect that at the end of the day. I think a lot of times we, we think we have to be somebody. Like I remember coming up playing, I thought I had to, you know, dress like Elisa Leslie or, right. you know, be like a Dawn Staley because those were the ones before me, you mm-hmm. know. And it's like one day you just wake up, you're like, I'm Shamiqua. I want to be who, you know, I am. When I look in the mirror, I'm my own person. And, right. you know, that's what people just have to have to understand. That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. Keep doing what you're doing and keep being that light. Thanks for having me. Shout out to the Players' Tribune for providing this place and this forum for athletes to share their story, their thoughts, and ultimately themselves with the world. Follow me on Twitter at AtonThomas36 and Facebook, which is just Thomas. And as always, I want to thank all of you for listening. Peace. The Players Tribune.com.